folks to another episode of That Anita Live, emotional healing to help you create a happier life. Is there a doctor in the house? This episode may turn into mayhem because my girl is in the building. Fellow healer and mental health guru, Dr. Cindy, is here to share her expertise around emotional and mental health. Dr. Cindy T. Graham holds a bachelor in psychology from Princeton University, go Tigers, <laughs> and a master's and a doctoral degree from Louisiana State University. She is a licensed, board certified, and approved clinical psychologist operating from her private practice, providing services to children and adolescents in their assessment and treatment of various disorders, including autism, behavioral problems, ADHD, anxiety disorders, and depressed and mood disorders. Help me welcome Dr. Cindy T. Graham to that Anita Live. What's up, girl? Hi, what's up? How are you? How are good, you? how are you? <laughs> it's good to be here, thank so you. So what made you go into clinical psychology? So um, I, I'm actually, I think I'm a, kind of a strange bird in that way because aside from wanting to be a fashion designer um, yeah. when I was little, uh, the next best thing after that for me, once that reality was shattered, <laughs> because I'm short, um, <laughs> was clinical psychology. So literally since middle school, I've wanted to be really? a clinical psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. Well, you know there is such a huge stigma mm -hmm. around mental health. Right. Mm -hmm. So even though there was that stigma, mm -hmm. you still chose it as the field to dedicate your life to. Absolutely. And so my family is originally from Haiti. Both my parents uh, emigrated to the United States. Uh, it's a huge, huge stigma in Haitian culture. Wow. Don't go to therapy. You pretty much don't even talk about mental illness. It's just not, it's not a thing. <laughs> so yeah, so I was kind of a, a little bit on the outskirts of everything. Usually you should become a, a medical doctor a lawyer or an engineer if you're, if you're a Haitian. The, the, so. the, the three yeah. favors of every parent. Right, exactly. exactly. You're so. going to be. Right, right. So it's, I'm still a doctor. I'm just a feelings doctor. Right, right. <laughs> I am. So. Why do you feel that stigma is? Not only in mm -hmm. Haiti, mm -hmm. but in United States, and then not just across across the United States, but across mm -hmm. cultures. Right, yeah, definitely. So it's it's almost this view of, of weakness, of, of vulnerability in a bad way. Mm -hmm. um, like we're supposed to be strong at all times. Um, and it's it's not even that having mental illness means that you're not strong, you are to right, be able right. to struggle with anxiety and depression. And, mm -hmm. and you know, if you struggle with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, autism, it's terribly difficult to make it through a world that um, really doesn't respect you as an individual because mm -hmm. of this, this disorder that you're diagnosed with so um yeah, unfortunately societies uh, see it as being a sign of weakness when really it's not at all does it stop some people from I guess admitting it even though they are in therapy mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely there are uh, weekly I talk with people about well like how am I going to tell my family and how and I'm like mm -hmm. you don't have to just, you know, you don't open the conversation with, right. by the way, I struggle with <laughs> generalized anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. it, it should come up just like anything else would come up in your life naturally as you get to know the person with somebody that you're, you know, you're comfortable with, mm -hmm. sure, bring it up. And unfortunately, because there's often such stigma in families, um, it, it just starts there. You know, they learn that they should be hiding it and keeping it a secret. So, you know, if you have a hard time telling something to your family, how are you even going to tell, you know, a close friend? or um, your boss if, if you needed the time off for you know a particular reason so yeah it's really unfortunate what's the biggest I guess backlash 
that mm-hmm. you've heard that somebody has received once they have admitted to family and friends, just their inner circle, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they have a mental illness? Unfortunately, a lot of the time, it's, it's uh, the worst that I've seen, I would say, in the grand scheme of things, probably hasn't been as bad just in terms of what I've had my clients uh, report back to me. Mm-hmm. But usually that that kind of putting it down, the ostracizing, you just need to pray more. Um, Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a person of faith, so I, you know, let's, you know, let's definitely put that out there. So I'm not, I'm not putting down religion no, but, whatsoever. But, but it's the idea that if if you have, um, if your relationship with God is what it should be, mm-hmm. then you wouldn't struggle with this. But would we ever tell somebody who has cancer? <laughs> like, if you prayed better, you wouldn't have cancer. Prayer changes things, right. but there's also our responsibility in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So it isn't that you just, you know, trust me, I have sat many days and wish that when I wake up in the morning, there's a million dollars on my kitchen right. table. Right. It doesn't happen like that. happen. Right. <laughs> so, right. right. So I have, to, I have to get up and figure right. out yeah. how to bring that million dollars right. to the table. Right. But first, you should start with breakfast. <laughs> so there is our responsibility right. in that whole mm-hmm. prayer realm. Right. Absolutely. And how God helps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What are some of your flat, last what are some of your, I guess, backlashes from, because you specialize in children and adolescents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you find children harder to reach or adults? Adults <laughs> are far, and I, so I take a very much uh, behavioral perspective. Uh-huh. So a lot of learning, modeling, um, it goes alongside with my beliefs about how people come to be. So kind of like that phrase you can't teach an old dog new tricks ah, okay, <laughs> I, okay. I, obviously I believe you can because it's just a lot harder um, so the kids the kids are a lot more open and inviting mm-hmm. some some struggle with that more so because they're just a fr- more shy or afraid to open up to someone okay, in general introverted but yeah. in terms of believing that the process can work mm-hmm. um, adults are are a lot harder in general in general so. parents a, a mm-hmm. parent sometimes difficult when it comes to a child. If the school, let's say the school mm-hmm. diagnosed the child mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they referred to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And the parent says, you know, I don't know what the school is talking about. Mm-hmm. My child. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> does not <laughs> have these issues. That's not, yeah, no, no. Especially grandparents. Grandparents, that's a. Um, he just <laughs> need a weapon. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, <laughs> he, just, he just needs behind. I just need a whopper. It's like, but nothing wrong um, with that child. Yeah. So parents, um, what I will say is, if if the parents don't come in with mm-hmm. somewhat of an open mind, parents who tend to fit that profile don't stay very long. Um, with me, because again, I put a lot of uh, responsibility also on the parents and not just on the child. So if a parent kind of comes to me and expects me to to fix their child, right, right, um, with not much effort from them, this is his problem. This right, is not my problem. Right. It's, it's, you're not a good fit for me because a lot of what I do is parent training as well and teaching parents how to respond better to their kids. For instance, um, if you had a parent mm-hmm. and the child was suffering with anxiety, mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. new experience, mm-hmm. even visiting um, the home of maybe a family friend, mm-hmm. the, the family friend he knows, mm-hmm. the home he does not, mm-hmm. and goes into a crying fit mm-hmm. in the car mm-hmm. and won't get out. Mm-hmm. Right. What is your suggestion? Right. So first of all, it's empathy, um, validating the feelings of the child. Um, but at the same time, it's a very careful balance between not providing too much negative attention to those behavior mm-hmm. problems. Uh, certainly don't yell. Uh, it'll, Get out of the car! <laughs> You're going to go in there. You'll have fun. It's more focusing on 
look, honey, I understand that this is scary for you. Remember mm -hmm. how much you loved Uncle Bob. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, remember some of the things you like doing with Uncle Bob. You know how you love dogs. He's got a nice little dog that you're going to mm -hmm. find so cute. Okay. So we try yeah. to find things that um, the child can kind of hold on to as a safety net. Okay. Um, you know, have the parents let the child know exactly where they're not exactly where they're going to be, but know that they're going to be within calling distance at yeah. any particular point in time. Preferably, I like for parents to prep the child a little bit. <laughs> Whenever right. parents say like. I don't tell them where we're going. <laughs> I just kind of spring it on them. I'm like, no, no, we have to stop yes, doing that. Yes. <laughs> Preparation is a good thing. So, I'm especially, oh my, I feel bad. I feel bad for dentists after <laughs> doing what I do because that's that's the number one place in the pediatrician where I'll have, or actually, in coming to see me, I'll ask them. So, do you know what I do? And I talk with the parents about introducing me and okay. telling them what okay. I do, and kids will say, no. <laughs> Are you a teacher? And I'm like. Oh, uh, not really. <laughs> I will be teaching you some things. So, yeah, a lot. Those are always the situations that we want to try to avoid because we don't want the child to um, to to come into my office. We want them to have a positive experience going in. So if if they feel blindsided, yes. especially with teenagers, teenagers it takes it to a whole other level. I've had teens that have sat there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, it's gonna be a good three, four sessions. Before I'm able to break down that wall. Right, as you as but, you try and break that wall right, down to get exactly, them to trust you. Exactly, because yeah, if and so that that is why it's so important for parents. Have they ever trusted up. you coming in the door? Yes, yes, okay. certainly, and sometimes almost inappropriately. So, <laughs> so um, because sometimes. Again, more so with teenagers, that there's almost this uh, me and the teenager against the parent um, mm -hmm. type of mentality okay. that they then take on. Um, I actually do have a client right now that, <laughs> that is often eager to get the parent to leave the room so they can tell me, you know, their yeah. side of the story. Yeah. Um, so, but as much as I am their advocate. I also very clearly say to the teens that I see, look, I'm also here to help your parents be effective parents for you too. So, you know, it's not us against them, you know, it's all of us <laughs> working together. <laughs> What's the longest time it's ever taken? Oh, to get, so to get the whole to family. Get, to get trust. Oh. Yeah. Um, What's the house, once they're in your office and the right. sessions have begun, how many sessions has it taken the longest right, case to, for someone to actually trust you, let the wall down and begin know, to tell you? Honestly, so actually very recently in this past year, I had, let me think, it was at least six sessions with a wow. teenager, um, middle school age, and um, we had a parent meeting to discuss it, and it was just a very, prior to coming in, I, I wouldn't have known that there was that level of issue happening before <laughs> getting to my office. Um, the, the team very polite, I couldn't, couldn't complain behaviorally, right. but yeah, the parents said that at home it was a completely mm. different story. So, and that was, yeah, that was six sessions of trying to. Because I recently had a conversation with a young man who has been seeing the same therapist for 10 years mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and told me in that one conversation mm -hmm. more than he's told his therapist in mm. 10 years and wow. I'm like but this is the crust mm -hmm. of what the therapist needs right. to be able to help you right. get through your issues mm -hmm. so 
you're wasting not just your time right. and your money, it's but your energy and, yeah. and, mm. and not giving the professional what they need. Right. Like right. it's it's not a a magic wand that mm -hmm. when you step into the office you don't have to divulge anything. Right. Right. That that has to be a safe and a trust space mm -hmm. for them to actually yeah, give you right absolutely right. and I'm I'm very straightforward um, with parents as well so usually I like to meet with parents about once a month once every six weeks usually okay. at the longest uh, and I let them know if I feel like their child is not coming around to opening up to me and then of course you know on the other side there are parents like did they tell you about and I'm like yeah 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 they told me they told me <laughs> we're good we're good um, but but I am I'm very straightforward because I, I don't I don't want to have I don't I don't want to torture the child right. <laughs> you know I right. don't want them to feel right. like they're forced to come here it should be a positive experience so you know I, I definitely talk to parents about that and sometimes they go back and try to coerce and you know when it's not a good fit it's just not a good fit because um, so. sometimes the parents want it to happen a lot faster mm -hmm. than it actually does mm -hmm. right right and especially with teenagers young kids so much easier <laughs> you know yeah. you have you're kind of like playtime they they build that trust really easily um, in, in general but when it comes to teenagers um, you know they're kind of at that phase anyway where they're trying to figure out their independence and trying to separate themselves from their parents in terms of their mm -hmm. identity so you know that's definitely going to be a time where they're going to push back against what their parents want them to do so then in walk and you're part of that right <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> with that we'll be right back after this <laughs> message. Welcome to That Anita Live TV on YouTube. Here at That Anita Live, I share episodes about emotional healing to help you create a happier life. How do I do that? through awareness, education, and most importantly, you, the community. By sharing tips and techniques from real people with real stories of overcoming trauma and abuse to live relentless lives. Hanging out with me, you'll laugh, you'll learn, but most importantly, you'll heal. Never miss a moment. Subscribe to That Anita Live's YouTube channel today. Subscribe via thatanitalive.com forward slash YouTube. Welcome folks to That Anita Live. I sit here today with two women that are very opinionated. Our topic, <laughs> our topic is free range parenting. And I sit with Dr. Cindy T. Graham and Danielle Mateev. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Free range parenting. Daniel, we're very familiar with the situation that you went through, right. 2014, 2015, being investigated by CPS, having the police in your house, all your two kids that were, were traumatized and terrified. Dr. Cindy, not only do you counsel and provide therapy for children and adolescents, but you also have two sons yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they are five and three? Five and almost three. Yeah, man. <laughs> He's still two. We'll, we'll hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> Mom wants to keep her right, baby. That's right. They're still the babies. The mine are 12 and 9. So, Dr. Cindy, I'll start with you. In what situation should a parent really be stark fearful of allowing their children to play outside? 
Right. So I think that, that if there is uh, quite an established history pattern of uh, dangerous behavior for the child, um, given their level of age, uh, obviously as kids get older, um, into the teenage years, they, they become more familiar with dangers that are around them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you would expect a teenager to, you know, pretty much be able to navigate certain situations, uh, stranger danger, um, confidently on their own. Um, but then, when you're talking about much younger kids, you're in a different situation. So, yeah, if if if, if you're well aware of what the uh, what the dangers are in your society, crime rates in, in mm -hmm. your community, those are things that I think you should take in, into consideration. So, Danielle, what was it about your kids that you felt they were mature enough to walk two blocks? home from that park. <laughs> um, right, I didn't think necessarily. Well, the funny thing is people, you know, a lot of times in these, you know, I've talked to folks and they're like, well, look at this interesting new parenting style. And what we have to remember is the way that we're raising kids today, that's what's new, right? We all grew up going right. to the park. We all grew right. up biking around. Um, we just spent four, my kids just spent four weeks up in Canada. We were there with them for two weeks and um, people still Raise, let their kids go places in Montreal, big city. Mm -hmm. um, when we were in Paris, we saw the same thing in Italy. I've spoken to people from all over Africa and Asia. All over the world, this is still what people do. Um, and it's in the United States that we've gotten really, really fearful. And then a couple of other like Anglo societies like Australia and it seems like England. Um, so we also have to put it in that perspective. That said, of course, I understand that things do feel really different these days. People are much more fearful. Um, and I think Part of that is that we're not as familiar with our neighborhoods. So I would say that if parents want to let their kids have more freedom as we did, you get to know your neighborhood yourself. I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize, we let our kids, they actually, um, they went to two parks and two times they were picked up. Um, the distance was one mile. That's also how far their school is and they've walked it many times. So we've walked that neighborhood. We're, that's just, we love to walk. We love to, um, we walked to synagogue, we walked to the store. So my kids knew their neighborhood and I knew what they were capable of. So that's why I felt comfortable because I'd seen them cross the street. You know, I'd say, okay, you tell us when we're gonna cross the street. And okay, you know, they hold each other's hands and um, go to the store and you can pay at the counter. Just the little things that teach kids, you know, on their way to be adults, just those skills. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've kind of, because we've, like I said, we're not as involved in our communities, we're often so rushed that we've kind of let that skill training mm -hmm. slip. We're like, oh, it's just, it's easier for me to do the laundry for them. It's easier for me to make dinner. It's mm -hmm. easier for me, right? Mm -hmm. These are the skills that kids need that build their confidence so they can then go to the park. Because it handicaps store. them versus mm -hmm. preparing exactly. them to be independent. Exactly. At what age do you feel that most kids should be trusted mm -hmm. to see whether or not that first time they can actually handle whether it's being home alone or walking home from the bus or walking to the bus in the morning. Right, so I think that that's extremely subjective um, because there are, and we are kind of talking a little mm -hmm. bit before, that it, it depends on the maturity of the child. So okay. what, I, what I recommend that parents do and what I do with my own children is that um, we take little tidbits along the way. So when we, okay. before we cross the street, like we're on the sidewalk, not even to the grassy area, I say, okay, what do we need to do? And I do this with my, my five and my two-year-old are right next to, to me and my five-year-old chimes in, you look both ways, which way do you look first? And we kind of go through mm -hmm. the whole exactly. process mm -hmm. so that 
Um, by the time they get to the point where, you know, down the road, if they ask to go to the park, you know, by themselves or what have you, go to a neighbor's house around the corner, that they know the different things that they need to look out for. So I, I think it's definitely something that parents should be doing all along the way right. in increments. Um, and then, yeah, and then it's going to depend on the maturity of your child. Right. Um, some kids do. I know I matured really fast. <laughs> you know, but I was definitely one of those very responsible. But you're the oldest. Uh, oldest female, second yeah. of four. Yeah. So um, yeah, so it was, and, and, and my parents did train that into us as well mm -hmm. about how to be, and we came from a very strict upbringing. So it wasn't like they were, yeah. you know, they, they were um, very laid back in their parenting style. Yeah. They were very hands-on, but they did teach right. us along the way what we needed, um, you know, to, right. to, to know when it came to being out in the community. Right. You heard a lot about Danielle's ordeal and going mm -hmm. through it with CPS and mm -hmm. so forth. Do you feel that CPS sometimes is just following the protocol mm -hmm. versus being genuinely concerned about what's going on in the home? Right. I think it's, I, I feel for CPS uh, based mm -hmm. on, you know, the area that I live in, in the Baltimore metro area, mm -hmm. they're, they're certainly overwhelmed. And even in other counties, in Anne Arundel, where um, my practice is, uh, they, they are overwhelmed. So mm -hmm. I can understand where um, the intent may be genuine, but for lack of time, lack of resources, lack of manpower, it can be difficult to sort through, uh, you know, the details. So you just kind of go down the checklist, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It was so. I, I think it does become difficult um, in that way. Uh, so I, I don't fault them for their process. I think it's the process, that mm -hmm. checklist, that needs to be revised mm -hmm. um, to make sure that it has uh, more oversight, uh, takes more things into account before before you go to the extreme of, of arresting parents. Now, I think I know that you're running for Montgomery County Council. Mm -hmm. Being a council member. What would you change in that process? Well, I think the process has already been changed, which I think was very helpful. In Maryland. Uh, in Maryland, so in Montgomery County. Right, but there are other states that right. are trailing behind. Um, and they can well, use Maryland as a model to review and change their own processes. Oh, that's, that's a great question. I think um, one thing is, like, as she was just saying that there's this, you know, kind of people are completely overwhelmed mm -hmm. and understaffed and, I mean, just underappreciated. We really need to pay, um, pay people better, staff are better, uh, make sure there's training, uh, better training. They're part of the infrastructure that, that is falling apart. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think our mental health, our social services. So make sure that these agencies have the resources they need. I think also, um, I mean, I don't, you know, it's hard to get into the details, but there's some of the way the federal versus state laws are set up kind of incentivize a little more, even, even if people mean well, there's an, more of an incentive to remove the kids from the family if it seems like, you know, so we have too many kids going into foster care. So really, on paper, we say, oh, we want to, you know, keeping the family together is the highest priority. We really need to talk about what that looks like. Um, if you have a family that where there really there was some neglect, what was the cause? Because poverty is not a reason to label, label somebody as a bad parent, and that's a lot of what we're seeing. Um, parents can't provide for their children. Oh, then we'll just take them away. Well, no, no, we need to put resources into the family. So I think, I mean, a lot of it comes down to having more resources and really shifting the focus where it really is on recognizing that the best place for that child, barring serious harm, or parents that, I mean, then there are bad parents, we know that, but they're the exception. 
barring that situation, the best place for the child is in that home and what can we do to help them there. So how long did your kids go through counseling after? Was it after the first time or after both times? So it was after the second time um, that we really, the first time was like, that was a weird situation. They, they you know, it was scary, but um, it was really being held in the, the police car and then held at CPS. I mean, they were picked up, you know, well after five and they didn't see us until 11. They didn't eat. If we didn't bring food to, to the uh, crisis center, they wouldn't have had dinner. Um, so, so it was, it, that was really, really hard. And then afterwards, I mean, it was immediately, you know, there was a therapist we already knew that we had spoken to for other issues, just um, focus issues in school. Um, so she already knew our family and she said, I will clear my calendar to get you guys in because yes. I know this is really serious. Mm -hmm. I'd say we went like five or six sessions and it was with this idea that we could always check back in with her. So I don't think it was like all over, but that's what we use sort of to handle the most acute right. symptoms. Um, and then we also used a lot of the techniques that she talked about, you know, just kind of giving the kids opportunities to talk about what had happened and, you know, letting, letting them know there was a space that they could bring it up. Like we weren't gonna force them to, mm -hmm. but, you know, and even now, I mean, I talked to my son about it three weeks ago and there's still some serious, you know, really strong emotions there. I mean, it was, it was definitely a life-shaping experience. You're very familiar with Danielle's story. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in her story, for instance, the kids walking home from the park or their age or the way CPS handled it that you have a strong opinion of? Yeah, so actually I, I, I remember a lot about the story coming out. Um, I can't remember whether it was Facebook or Twitter, but it was one of the social media outlets. And um, shortly after I read the story for myself, my sister, who's a lawyer, uh, I'm an attorney in Pittsburgh, she tweeted me the story and she was like, what is this? <laughs> like, what's going on in Maryland? And I'm like, I don't know. So for me, I, I, was, real, I was really horrified, honestly. And um, my, my practice, we're all female, we're all, well, not anymore. We were all female at the time. <laughs> um, most of us moms, we were we were just shocked. We were absolutely shocked uh, that that this is yeah. this had happened because. And our thought was, what is going on in our communities right. that we can't allow kids right. to walk to the park? I remember when I was younger. Oh gosh, how old was my sister and I were two years apart. Um, maybe I was in high school and she was in middle school. Mm -hmm. We would walk miles away from the house down mm -hmm. to the mall right. and back, and it was fine. It was yeah. not an issue right. at all. Um, you know, and, and so it, it was just appalling to us that this had happened. And then right. once we heard it happened again, we were like, this can't be reality. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to hear what your kids went through, it really did. It, it really, yeah. we had conversations, multiple conversations about, well, does this mean we, we shouldn't do this mm -hmm. for our children? Mm -hmm. um, it, yeah, it really causes you to change how you're parenting, how you're living uh, your life in a way that seems unfair. In your mm -hmm. inner circle, did you see any changes as to how um, people were raising or treating their children? You know, uh, I'll say no. Um, I, I, again, partially based on <laughs> the metro area that, mm -hmm. that, that I live in. Um, I think in terms of my friends that are in more of a suburban atmosphere, um, that so our kids are pretty young as well so we are talking and okay. especially a couple of years ago um in that like five-year-old range so it is a right. 
kind of another shift down. Yes. So, you know, there is that question there. So in a lot of ways, it didn't impact us, but it was a conversation that we had multiple times. Um, we had families coming in talking about it as well. Oh. So, you know, people were concerned. They were worried. So yeah. um, what was your advice to them when they were coming in saying, OK, do I have to change the way I parent my child? Mm -hmm. Can my child not walk to mm -hmm. the store and back anymore? Right. And it was so that was a tough issue because um, to, for, so for us, what we surmised mm -hmm. was that we, we felt like maybe there was some type of targeting that was happening there for whatever reason, yeah. um, because it didn't make sense to us why one family would have been targeted not just once, but then twice, yeah. um, given given their neighborhood. So, you know, our advice was um, try to get to know the neighbors, try to make mm -hmm. sure that um, you have that sense of community. Mm -hmm. um, immediately around it, it was more so kind of, yeah, lay low for a little while until this blows over in case it is something that starts to, you know, copycat behavior in case people do start to, um, you know, it starts wow. to expand. And I think thankfully it, it didn't, but um, it was. And it, we had to be realistic about it and kind of say, or at least I, I should say I had to be realistic and say, you know, we don't know the circumstances of the right. story. So err on the side of caution um, for now. So... Um, yeah. There is never a time when you shouldn't seek help for an issue. Whether it is you or a loved one, there is hope and there is help. There are hotlines, there are support groups, reach out. Because sometimes you don't want to be fixed, you just want to be heard. To learn more about Dr. Cindy, visit CindyTGramPhD.com. Or you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at CindyTGramPhD. Make the commitment to start your journey to emotional healing today. I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out thatanitalive.com for where and when to view our next episode.